Hallelujah. We were going to advertise for the harvesters at the Super Bowl tonight, but we are about 6.99 million too short. Anyway. Hebrews chapter 11. Let me put on my uh, NFL app here so I can watch the game while, while I preach. And get my eyes on. Truckers used to say, you got your ears on? Well, now us old guys say, you got your eyes on? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11. And so our, our text tonight, uh, from Hebrews chapter 11, you know, this is what the Bible, uh, it, it doesn't say it in the Bible, but a lot of times chapter headings say uh, the, the hall of faith or the hall of fame of faith, uh, different things like that. Uh, and so you can see here in this chapter uh, it outlines a lot of biblical characters that belong in this hall of fame or hall of faith of biblical characters. <laughs> My daughter. <laughs> uh, so she's throwing me off here. Uh, so the world has its halls of fame. You know, tonight, of course, the Super Bowl. Uh, there's players tonight. I don't know any of them. I think, isn't it like Taylor Swift playing tonight or something? Is she like quarterback of the, the Colts or something? I I, I don't know who's, you know, it's not the Bears, so whatever. But anyway, there's people, players, guys playing tonight at the Super Bowl that hope one day to be in the, the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, there's all kinds of different halls of fame. You know, I began to look some up. There's, of course, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, anyone, and they've even got some country folks in there too. But uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you've got the Automotive Hall of Fame. Whatever people are into there's a Hall of Fame for it, a Radio and Theater Hall of Fame, Cowboy and Rodeo Hall of Fame. There's a Circus Hall of Fame, a Toy Industry Hall of Fame. There's even a Robot Hall of Fame. Like, I don't really know any other than the Terminator. I don't really know any famous robots. Uh, so I don't know what they've, they've got in there. But there's all kinds of Halls of Fame. Uh, you know, and then other than there's a Baptist church in Ohio uh, that has a Christian Hall of Fame. I don't know how much visitors they get. Probably more people go to see the Ark than to see that. But, uh, you know, other than that, really the, the Hall of Fame for Christianity is right here in our text in, in Hebrews chapter 11. We've got Christians like Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, of course, Joseph, and Moses. All these are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, the Holy Spirit is pointing out these people that had incredible faith and made a difference or made an impact for the kingdom of God upon the earth. And so when we read Hebrews chapter 11, it should stir us to want to do something for God. And so I want to look at tonight a sermon that I've called Ordinary Heroes. Uh, I'm going to look at a lot out of Hebrews chapter 11, but we want to kind of concentrate on one verse, Hebrews 11 uh, verse 20, it says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. So I want to look at first tonight, ambitious desires. So the, the definition of ambition is a desire to do something great or something beyond the ordinary accomplishments. It's a earnest desire uh, for some type of achievement or distinction, such as a power or an honor, fame or wealth or a willingness to strive 
uh, for its attainment. And so ambition is something that's in each one of us. It's something that God put within men and women. It's that desire to do something great or that desire to be someone great. That desire to be well-known, to have a name for yourself, to leave a legacy. And so ambition drives people to do incredible things. It's a God-given trait. The unfortunate thing is, as what most the time humans do, we spin it out of control and turn it into a negative thing. But there has to be, and I hope there is, some degree of ambition within each one of us. You know, the opposite of ambition is apathy, not caring at all. And, you know, this can be such a, a big curse. It's apathy, you know. Have you ever been, like, on outreach and you're talking to someone? You know, if they start arguing with me, man, I can stand there for probably three days and argue with them. You know, if they agree and they get saved, you know, praise God. But the ones that are just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. So what do you think? Well, those are the hardest ones to get through to. It's like either slap me or pray something. Don't just stand there and do nothing. You know, apathy can be so hard to break through. This, this can really be a, a motivation killer. This is the opposite of ambition, which is apathy. Other antonyms include laziness, disinterest, inaction. I love this one, sloth, like a big sloth. Directionlessness, procrastination. Ooh. You know, but this can be, you know, there has to be some sort of ambition because the opposite, this apathy, just no one can do anything with that. You know, I begin to think about, you know, people that smoke weed. I, I smoke my fair share of weed. And today, marijuana looks like nothing. It, it's, you know, like Tylenol now compared to the drugs we've got today. But, you know, people say, oh, it's harmless, it's not bad, you know, I can smoke some weed, I can still go to work, I'm okay driving, it's legalized. But you know what marijuana does? It robs you of any motivation. I remember before I got saved, I mean, I was just, that's all I did for a while, was just smoke weed. And my friend, hey, we're going downtown. I'm like, no, nah, I'm just going to stay here. I just sat on the couch and smoked pot by myself. Like, what kind of fun is that? You know, but it robs you of, of, your, uh, uh, of your, your ambition or your desire to do anything. I imagine a lot of the, the drugs that are out today just doping people up just to serve. So don't say, that, oh, but marijuana, you know, it's, it's an herb that God created, and it's okay. When you compare it to fentanyl, it's, you know, yeah, okay, but you know what? It'll rob you of any kind of ambition in life. So like Pastor Penning says, that one's just for free in the sermon. Because we're meant to do something with our lives. We're not just here for nothing. We're meant to do something with our lives. And so ambition is a thing that can stir us, that can move us towards great things. But like I said, it can also be tipped in the other direction where it's unhealthy. We know all, if you, if you paid attention in high school, if they still even teach it, they still teach Shakespeare. I don't know. But, you know, ambition, Caesar, Shakespeare. I won't go into all that. I'm sure you studied it and got an A on that test. But, you know, it has a, a negative context to it or a negative connotation because ambition tends to go too far and tends to push yourself way above everyone else. 
It's essentially to be determined to have more than your neighbor. Ambition strives to be number one, to outdo everyone else. And so when it's pushed that other direction too far, apathy over here, extreme ambition over here, it's out of balance and it's not a good thing. You know, the Bible has a few characters that are uh, very uh, uh, selfish or have selfish ambitions. And it basically mocks these people, you know, the, the the, the biggest one that, you know, I love to, to mock and Al Cooper loves is the fool on the mule. <laughs> Absalom. Here's a guy, you know, like what great thing did he do? Well, I'm the king's son. Okay, well, what great thing did you do? Look at my hair. You know, and it, and the Bible just kind of mocks this guy, you know, but he had this ambition to be someone great. Second Samuel 18, 18 says, Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself the pillar that is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name, and it is called Absalom's monument to this day. So I just kind of picture this tall cement pillar and then like all this hair on the top or something. <laughs> but here is, he set up his own pillar. You know what? Let someone else, if, if, if you're worthy of recognition, someone else will set up a monument for you. Don't, it's kind of tacky to put up your own. Jeremiah 45.5, and do, and do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not, for behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. And so here God is mocking the selfish ambitions. It's also seen in the Bible as a mark of the flesh that obviously ends in ruin. You have the fruit of the Spirit. Well, one of the, the fruit of the, the flesh or the deeds of the flesh talks about this ambition. Galatians 5, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition. So listed with all these other heinous things that we would never do is selfish ambition. You know, this was really Satan's downfall. He had an ambition in his heart. Here he is, this, you know, uh, angel of God, worshiping God. Uh, but some selfish ambition rose up in his heart, and this is what brought him down. In Isaiah 14, it says, Thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And so here it is. This is where man gets his ambition out of control. For Jesus says, you're of your father the devil. So a lot of people have this in them where it takes that ambition, that godly desire to do something, and puts it in the, the wrong place or the wrong emphasis and goes out of control. And so it can be an unhealthy thing to have an out-of-control ambition. But again, there can be a healthy drive within us. The Cambridge Dictionary definition of ambition says a strong wish to achieve something. And so this doesn't always have to be negative. We can't, oh, you know, the, the Bible says don't be ambitious, so I'm not going to do anything. No ambition at all. That, that, no, that's going too far the other direction. There are good ambitions. People seek cures for diseases or bettering society. 
And then, then there can be a strong desire to achieve something for God. And this is what we're trying to cultivate in disciples, is a desire to do something God for God, to see people go on and do wonderful things for the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore, we also have as our ambition to be pleasing to him. It's the desire of the Christian, of the disciple, to be pleasing to God. This is a healthy ambition where the world might teach us to go out and be the best and have the biggest house and have the biggest yacht and have the greatest things and everyone looks up to you and you've got this name for yourself. The Bible teaches us the opposite. That's not the ambition that God wants. Philippians 2, 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let us esteem each other, each, let us esteem others better than ourselves. The ESV says, do nothing from selfish ambition. And so again, the Bible doesn't say, don't be ambitious, but be ambitious to do something for God. Paul tells the church in Colossae, do something for God. Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And so God wants us to be ambitious when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to doing something in the kingdom of God. We're to be ambitious for ministry. The Bible talks about this is a good thing. We don't seek position for position's sake or for a title. I want to be the pastor so I can call the shots. Well, guess what? They'll run all over you. But the Bible says, you know, be ambitious to, to be a pastor. Be ambitious to do these things because this is a godly thing. Paul tells Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.1, this is a true saying. In other words, this is something good. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Now, I know we got Bishop Cooper back there, but we usually don't have too many bishops and deacons. <laughs> he just looks like a deacon, don't he? <laughs> deacon Cooper. <laughs> But here, you know, basically what he's saying is if someone desires a position in the church, if someone desires to serve in ministry, this is a good and healthy ambition. This is what we try to cultivate within disciples. So the Bible doesn't say don't be ambitious. It even says be ambitious for the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 31 from the Common English Bible. Use your ambition to try to get the greater gifts. You know, I, I know there's, you know, the whole televangelism world that was, you know, the 80s and 90s where, you know, people were kind of out of control with, you know, showing off the spiritual gifts. So that kind of makes us like, well, I, you know, I don't, you know, to say, well, I'm seeking the spiritual gifts sounds kind of haughty and proud. But you know what? He says that here in the Bible. Seek out the spiritual gifts. Not for your own glory, not for, but to see people get saved, to see people ministered to, to edify the church. So it's not a selfish ambition. It's not wrong to seek the spiritual gifts. Speaking in tongues, interpretation in tongues, healing. Now you get those gifts, you're going to have to put the ego in control. You're going to have to crucify the flesh. But to seek those things isn't wrong. Be ambitious to preach. Romans 15, 20 from the ESV. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. What do you want to do with your life? You know, now I've, you know, someone the other day, I, it's Pastor Carl Cooper, you know, I sent him a picture of a new guitar, and he said, man, you're having a midlife crisis. I said, well, that's a good thing, because if this is midlife crisis, that means I'm going to live to be 100. <laughs> if I'm in the middle, because I'm 50, but, you know, and so here it is, 
What do you want to do with your life? I've reached this age where I'm going, what do I want to do with my life? Hmm. But part of that is what's in this sermon, what I want to do with my life. And so we should have a desire to do great things for God and perhaps be counted among the heroes of the faith. But what I want to look at secondly is what, are, what is a hero of the faith? I want to look at the ordinary heroes. And so Christian history, even world history, is full of heroes. People that did amazing things for God, you know, we greatly admire them. You know, just to, this whole Memorial Stones video I mean, these people are like, they're like my heroes, man, you know. Like today, seeing those pictures of Pastor Wayman Mitchell, like young, it's like, oh, man, it's so cool looking. You know, everyone was like, that's a funny looking old guy. But I mean, it just, you know, there's something in me that, that that's a hero of the faith to me. And so we see these people, they do amazing things for God, or we read in, in Hebrews chapter 11, and we begin, man, man, I would love to do something like that. But, you know, we might start to feel like, man, I could never really measure up to that. You know, if they came at me with the guillotine, <laughs> I'd like to say, I, in my faith, I will stand and not renounce. But, you know, when that blade's being lifted above your neck, you hopefully... God will strengthen me in that. But here it is. We read these things like, man, I I couldn't do that. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson and Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. I mean, that sounds good. That'll stir you up. But then at the same time, you're like, well, what am I doing for God? What, what can I do? I'm not turning to flight anyone. <laughs> Except when I say, would you like a flyer? They all turn in flight. <laughs> So there's a lot of heroes, a whole book series. Well, you know, 1500s, John Fox uh, wrote a book called The Acts and Monuments, which we call the Fox's Book of Martyrs. That's a tough one to read. You think you read through that and be like, what am I doing for God? The book series, I think there's a few of them, you know, the, the, the heroes of the faith. And, man, they cover just about everybody. You know, you got Corey Ten Boom and, you know, is, is hiding Jews during the, the World War II, during the Nazi pogroms. And, and then she's, you know, keeping the faith and witnessing in a, in a concentration camp. And, you know, I mean, just incredible heroes. It was George Mueller, the, the guy who did the orphanages. And, you know, I've read the back of the books. I haven't read all, all the books. <laughs> They're in the book room, so I had to read the back to print it, you know. But there's, you know, a lot about heroes of the faith. And we can admire them, and we might even be a little intimidated by them. But, you know, most of these people, when you ask them, they would probably just, you know, how, how did you become a hero? I just was doing what God called me to do. I just was being a Christian in life circumstances. And they wrote a book about me, usually after you're dead. So don't seek a book deal while you're alive. It's usually after you're dead. But the, the biblical heroes probably did not think of themselves as heroes. 
you know, often they're not recognized by their own generation. You know, Pastor Pinnock said the other night about the World War II generation. Incredible uh, generation, you know, and, and his point was, you know, well, there's people since then that have done great things. But sometimes it, it takes the passage of time to recognize heroes. And so that's where we're at. We, you know, we've had the passage of time, the passage of that generation. Plus, a lot of them died. We forget what jerks they were, so now we <laughs> exalt them. But, you know, here it is. It, some time has to pass before someone is recognized as a hero. One of those books, Citizen Soldiers by Stephen Ambrose, great book. It's just people like you and I that got drafted, went to war. They weren't planning to be a hero, but did some heroic things when they were put in that situation and didn't back down. The biblical heroes didn't know that they were doing anything heroic. They were just doing what they knew to do. They often just fell into these difficult situations, but remained faithful through those situations. You know, we've been studying for uh, nine weeks now the, the Red Sea, the Red Sea moments. You know, and, and this is, you know, the, the, their situation that they find themselves in. And we've talked about in that Bible study series, how do you react in a Red Sea moment? Well, what makes a hero? What makes a hero is someone who can still live for God and make a stand for God when the Red Sea is at your back and the enemy's at your front. That's all it is. I'm not doing anything heroic, but that's the heroics. Most of the time we don't know that we're a hero. It's just ordinary people facing the situation they're in. One quote that I have by one of the greatest ordinary heroes, he said, I used to think that heroics were things the wonderful folk of stories went out and looked for because they wanted them, because they were exciting and life was a bit dull, a kind of sport, as you might say. But that's not the way of it with the tales that really mattered or the ones that stay in the mind. Folks seem to have been just landed in them usually, their paths were laid that way, as you put it. But I expect they had a lot of chances of turning back, only they didn't. And if they had, we shouldn't know because they'd have been forgotten. We hear about those that just went on and not all to a good end, mind you. And so what he's saying is, you know, the things, they didn't go out seeking heroics. They were just put in those situations, but stayed faithful to God. You know, I've, I've, like I said, I love watching this Memorial Stones uh, video series. You know, to me, the, the, the people, the, the guys and, and the men and women, the couples from the early days of our fellowship, these are heroes. I think that because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. None of us would be here. You know, if it wasn't for, you know, the, 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 our hero, Pastor Harold Warner, you know, I, breaking my back would be enough. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm staying home from now on. No, here's a man who, and you ask him, you know, how did you become such a hero? I just did what God called me to do. I wasn't seeking heroics, but in a facing adversity, he just did what God called him to do. An ordinary hero. I remember early on. Uh, probably first or probably second or third conference, I don't know. We were in Tucson standing at a payphone <laughs> in the hotel lobby. That'll tell you how long ago it was. Anyone know what a payphone is? I think they have some decorated as artwork around town. But 
you know, one of the guys, we didn't have cell phones or nothing. He gets in the pay phone, puts in 50 cents or 25 cents, and call home. I'm, I'm okay. We made it to Arizona. It took us three days to drive, but we made it. But we're at this phone, you know, I remember it clear. And it was like, we were like, I saw one of the guys' eyes got real big. And we're like, what? He's like, look, look. Oh, man. That's that guy that plays that that 12-string guitar and does Beatles songs. He's the pastor in Cape That's Paul Campo. We were like, oh, man. He, like, walked by, and he's like, afternoon. We're like, oh, man, Pastor Paul Campo said hey to us, man. <laughs> I mean, it was like, I, wanted, I was like, oh, can I have your autograph? <laughs> Maybe that was a, a little extreme, but these are my heroes, man. And to go to conference, I mean, we sit on the edge of the seat, like, waiting for it to start, man. This is this is greater than any concert I've been to. And so, you know, Pastor Mitchell mentioned during this the series, you know, they're showing all the photos. I, I love the photos. It's cool. He said, but, you know, nobody took these photos thinking one day we'll need them for this series. We'll want these photos to commemorate the wonderful things done by our fellow. They weren't thinking that at the time. They're like, hey, cool, look, people are getting saved. Click, took a picture. They weren't trying to be heroes. I don't think Pastor Mitchell was even trying to lay the groundwork for an incredible fellowship that will last into the ages and see thousands of people saved. No, he was just, man, I'm just doing what God called me to do. In fact, Pastor Greg Mitchell said we, we weren't laying down monumental foundation stones. We just stumbled into a lot of these truths. And so just serving God where they were placed, they did these what I would call heroic things. Of course, the world won't say that, but they see with different eyes. And so it wasn't about themselves. It's not about the person. It was all about passing on the gospel and discipleship to their generation and to the next generation. And so it isn't so much who did what that we're looking at in the Memorial Stones video, but why they did it or why we do what we do. And so the players aren't always important as the pattern. And a lot of times, heroes' names aren't even known, especially in the Bible. How many biblical characters, we don't know their names, the woman at the well. We just know them, you know, and if they do get a name, it's like blind Bartimaeus. <laughs> you know, name, you know. So a lot of times, the, the players aren't even known. A true hero is not even known. Hebrews 11.35, here's all these people. Incredible things, not one name is mentioned. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. So a lot of the biblical heroes' names not even known. And so all the talk of heroes in the Bible can be inspiring, but like I said, it can also be intimidating. Can I ever measure up? Will I ever be a hero? What, what, what am I doing with my life? Can I be a hero of the faith? And so we can find out by looking at some in our text. I want to look at last the making of a hero. And so we have in the Bible and in Hebrews chapter 11, 
You know, the standouts probably of the Old Testament and Hebrews chapter 11 is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, all throughout the Bible, it talks about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 33 verses mention all three names together. I didn't do a search, but I'm sure hundreds of times their names are mentioned individually. But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob, no one can argue that these are recognized as biblical heroes of the faith. And so here we have Abraham first. He's referred to as the father of the faith. He's recognized by Jews, Muslims, and Christians uh, as the the founder of their religions. Galatians 3.6, one translation says, Abraham, our father of the faith, believed God. And then Romans 4.16, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. Hebrews 11 uh, gives the, the most verses to Abraham. He gets 11 verses, uh, verses 8 through 18, and the next closest is Moses. But so here's Abraham. He gets all these verses in Hebrews chapter 11. When you look at the book of Genesis, he's given 15 chapters. Chapters 12 through 25 is all about Abraham. Consider this, this book takes 11 chapters, 1 through 11, to cover the creation of the universe, <laughs> the beginning, the first few hundreds or thousands of years of mankind, and then, after 11 chapters, spends 12 chapters on one man, Abraham. No one can argue that he's a hero of the faith. Jacob. Jacob's given 10 chapters in the book of Genesis, chapters 27 to 36. We know of the great things that Jacob did. We know of his vision of the ladder going up to heaven, of his wrestling with an angel. We know his faithfulness to Laban and his tw- the 12 sons that he had. In fact, an entire nation to this day is named after Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, Genesis 32, 28. He said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men. And so his name is changed to Israel, and now the nation of Israel is named after him. That's like an entire country named Bill. <laughs> I mean, that would be pretty amazing. Like, yeah, they, they named the country after me. It just doesn't have that ring to it, Bill. William. How about that? We can go with William. <laughs> They won't know who we're talking about, though. The legacy continues with Joseph. Joseph gets 14 chapters in Genesis. You know, an incredible life story, heroic things, dreams as a youth, betrayal by his brothers, sold uh, into slavery to Potiphar's house, spends time in a dungeon, uh, rises to second in command of Egypt. All this time from the, from the very bottom to the heights where your pride can mess with you, he still served God, a hero of the faith. Hebrews eleven twenty two. it was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. So a prophet, I know you guys are going to make it out of here. And he said, when you do, bury me over there. So Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, incredible heroes of the faith. And then we have Isaac. Fifteen chapters for Abraham. Ten chapters in Genesis for Jacob. Fourteen chapters for Joseph. How many for Isaac? Two. Hmm. That's interesting. 
Abraham gets 11 verses in Hebrews Hall of Faith. Isaac gets one, which is our text. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. So few chapters, so few verses. What did Isaac do? Maybe we should ask, what did Isaac not do? You know, looking at his two chapters, we see that he lived at home with his parents till they died. When his dad was going to kill him, he just laid there. <laughs> he didn't get married till he was 40. He didn't get married till he was 40. And even then, his dad said, Eleazar, will you go find this dude a wife? I mean, his own parents went out and, we're going to get you a wife. He, was, he didn't get married till he was 40. But he's listed as a hero of the faith. Nothing very extraordinary. But yet, a hero of the faith. God doesn't dismiss him. It's the God of Abraham and Jacob and Joseph. Doesn't skip over him. God, he's always in. It's always Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When you mention Abraham, you mention Isaac and Jacob. When you mention Jacob, you're always going to mention Isaac. Isaac's big concern was his faithful passing of his father's faith to his children. The passing of the faith of Abraham to the next generation. What makes Isaac a hero was not that he said, I mean, my dad's religion was cool, but mine's going to be cooler. His thing was, what my dad taught me, I'm passing on. Simple. You only get one verse for that, but what impact do you have? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Morris Adler says, Isaac fills so few chapters compared to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph. Nothing spectacular happened to Isaac. He made no particular contribution, no addition to the faith he received from Abraham. He injected no new idea, no startling insight. The faith seems in Isaac to have reached a plateau. What then did Isaac do? He preserved the faith. He held on to it. He received it and he was loyal to it. He is the son of Abraham and the father of Jacob. That's what makes him a hero. He's the son of Abraham and the father of Jacob. A man that could faithfully pass on what his father Abraham taught him to his son Isaac that would be preserved for all generations. And we are the legacy of that. Without Isaac, there wouldn't have been Jacob and Joseph and Moses and David and Christ. Isaac was a hero, an ordinary hero. He preserved the faith. He held on to it. He received it and was loyal to it. He kept the faith that was handed to him, and the chain did not break with him. He remained loyal, and in all his actions, the faith was preserved. And so, like I said, you know, I've turned 50. You know, you know it seems like every time now it's an old codger sermon. I guess you hit 50, and you got to start, well, I remember, you know. But I begin, you know, I, I remember younger days when, you know, you get at conference and 
they'd ask him, you getting sent out this year? Well, play it off. You know you're not, but, well, could be. See what the Lord wants. You know, you kind of strut around and have these ambitions, and we'd all say, yeah, man, we're going to come and preach in your church. It's going to be a conference church, man. Good ambitions. They drove us to things. But now I'm, you know, I'm like, what, what am I doing with my life? But you know what? To faithfully hand down what came from the Bible, Pastor Mitchell, Pastor Warner, Pastor LaValle, Pastor Pinnock, to me, I want there to be something left. I'm not dying anytime soon, I don't think. But, you know, it's a heroic thought enough for me to say, you know what, I'm going to do all I can that my kids will serve God. That there'll be somebody here at Victory Chapel Athens to carry on when all Mike's hair falls out. Yeah, he shaves it, but if he didn't shave it, he'd be like, Absalom. (laughs) And so it's a heroic thing. Not saying don't seek to do something for God, but what does the Bible look at as a hero? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. An ordinary hero passing on the faith. Well, it would be great to be the next Billy Graham. You don't need to do that. You don't need to have a, a book in a book series. You can simply serve God and pass on what you've received. You know, this morning, Pastor Pinnock said, and I, I wrote it down right away, he said, uh, you don't have to have a certain level of intellect. And a lot of us said, Amen. What's intellect? Whatever it is, I know I don't have it. He said, you don't have to be beautiful. (laughs) That's the truth. You don't have to have great speaking ability. You don't have to be wealthy. He didn't say you don't have to be healthy, but that does help to be healthy, to not, you know, die and, you know, it helps to be a little, you know, cut the crumble cookies just down to twice a week. But his point was, we don't have to be these high flyers, but yet we can be ambitious to do something for God. And, and, and it's a heroic thing for us to pass on what's been given to us. We might not be Billy Graham. We might not be the Apostle Paul. But if we can, you know, get towards the end of our life and see that there's still faithful people at Victory Chapel, we've done a heroic thing. And so in a world of constant change, New fashions, new habits, I mean, everything, all the time. It's just moving 100 miles an hour. It never stops for a moment. You think of someone like Isaac and think, man, what the heck did he do? You know what? He's not a negative character. He's a hero. And so the most important thing is passing on the knowledge of God to the next generation, whether it be your own children or the next generation of disciples. You know, our fellowship is aging. We're aging. Will there be something? Are you handing something down faithfully to the next generation? If you are, you're a hero of the faith. Amen. Let's bow our heads together tonight. Before I got saved, my my one ambition, I'm going to be a rock and roll star and probably be dead when I was 27. 
that was my ambition. But when I was 20 years old and got to a point where I'm just sitting on the couch, watching TV, getting high, playing guitar, someone preached the gospel to me. Someone faithfully, someone who got saved and got handed a vision to go on outreach, preached the gospel to me. And then God changed my life and said, you know what, your ambitions, no, we're not doing that. And it became my ambition just to, to serve God, to see what I can do for God. And maybe that's you tonight, you've kind of wallowed in that, what am I doing with my life? Well, I can tell you something, there's something greater out there than just yourself. There's something greater than what the world says is great. You can be a child of the living God. You can be set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you can go on a rescue mission to see other people set free. And you say, tonight, that's me. I've, you know, struggle within myself. What am I doing in my life? The first step is to give your life to Jesus Christ. That's you tonight. You say, I'm not saved or I'm backslidden. But I want to get back into the faith. I want to get back into the things of God. You lift your hand tonight and say, please pray with me. I want to receive Jesus Christ. Anyone here in this place? Lift your hand and say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Nothing greater in all this world than serving God. For the Christians here, we might struggle. What is a hero? You know, we're, we're going to have harvesters this weekend. You know, when these guys get up here and preach, you know, I'll, all of them actually got saved after me. But I look up there, I'm like, man, that's a hero, man. I like to hear what, you know, Pastor Hurl's got to say and Wallace especially. I mean, that, you know. And if Wallace can be a hero, anyone can be a hero. <laughs> but that's what it's about is just passing on the faith. That's what Harvester's about is seeing that we've taken what's been handed to us and we're handing it to the next generation. That's what makes a hero tonight. So don't get down and depressed. What am I going to do? I'm not going to be here. Just faithfully receiving what you've been taught and passing it on makes you a hero. So we're going to stand tonight. We're going to open these altars for a time of prayer. You keep those things in mind.